Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Corporate Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bailey. Today, we're talking about building a compelling ESG program, and I'm so happy to be joined by Carol Nolan Drake for this conversation. Carol is the founder of Carlo Consulting and provides corporate governance, ESG, and diversity consulting services to public and private companies, nonprofits, and investors. Carol is also the co-author of the Society for Corporate Governance ESG Implementation Guide. So in today's episode, we talk about what is ESG, how ESG is linked to corporate purpose, and the role your board and employees play in building a strong program. Carol also shares some key steps for leaders who are in the early stages of putting together a new ESG program. I hope you stick around for a great episode. Welcome to the Corporate Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bailey. Over the last few years, I've discovered a new wave of CEOs who are passionate about serving their customers and changing the world. They're proving you can build a strong business while also having a positive impact on those around you. This is a podcast about the changing state of business and why more leaders are choosing to use their business for good. Join me for thoughtful conversations about purposeful leadership and uncovering the steps you can take to grow your business on purpose. Hi, Carol, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be here with you today. So, Carol, I am really excited about today's conversation because I think ESG is continuing to gain a lot of momentum, and it's something that a lot of companies are starting to look at more closely. But I know there's probably a lot of questions out there. So can you start by just explaining what is ESG? Well, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And those three components have separate meanings. However, when they're taken together, they have become a united term that provides the basis for which companies can evaluate risks within each of those three components, and then put programs and policies in place to mitigate those risks. ESG reporting also provides investors and stakeholders with information they need to make decisions on investment strategies or specific ESG issues that are important to them. So in the environmental space, a company might have a business model that includes a significant amount of perhaps single-use plastics, They may emit greenhouse gas emissions. They may have a lot of shipping activity, a large number of global suppliers in the supply chain. In the S category, a company may need to consider international work standards, human capital management, cybersecurity, and executive pay and compensation. So on the investor side, they too will have a separate lens for which they look at ES and G issues. That is how you end up with these components together making a robust ESG program. Thank you for that definition, Carol. You also gave us some really good examples of E, S, and G, and it seems like many of them intersect with corporate purpose. So in your view, is there a relationship between a company's purpose and their ESG program? Very much so, yes. You might know this from your work. Once the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Business Roundtable released their respective statements on corporate purpose a couple years ago, it really opened companies up to the idea that it was important to consider more than one's investors. Now, I I will say there aren't experts who believe that fiduciary duty still remains for a company with its company investors. However, if the company doesn't have really a strong sense of its own purpose, its impact on communities and employees, then I think the returns for investors could be harmed. 
So it's not exclusively anymore one group over another. It's really about balancing those important interests so the company continues to perform well and certainly over long term. And that's why assembling an ESG program within a company gives a strong connection back to the company's purpose. I really like that, Carol, and it fits with this growing stakeholder mindset. So I've been thinking a lot about the role of the board of directors and executive leadership team in putting together a company's purpose. I've always felt like it's so important for the leadership team to be hands-on in the process of putting together a company's purpose because they're definitely going to be the champions and the ones that are going to build some accountability around it and to make sure that that alignment across the business is happening. So likewise, what is the role of the leadership team, or in this case specifically the board of directors, in putting together the ESG program? Whether it's the statement of the purpose or the ESG program, the board should have a significant role in it. I mean, there's a reason for the saying tone at the top, and that's because the board sets the direction. And I want to just give a little statistic here. In May of 2019, there was a survey by the Society of Corporate Governance for Public Company Members, and over 70% of the respondents to that survey indicated that their boards have oversight over ESG activities. So now while most respondents said that the oversight rests with the full board or maybe one of the committees, for example, the nominating and governance committee, others said, this other 30% said that they delegate ESG oversight to specific ESG or sustainability committees within the company. They may have a chief sustainability officer. They may have a board committee, like an internal committee, that is made up of legal counsel, you know, the IR officer and so forth. But the board should reflect that direction. And what I have often said when I'm listening to people who call me about starting a program, I ask them about the culture. What is the tone at the top? What kind of action and activity has the board already taken in this space? Can you get their temperature? Are they skeptics about ESG or are they on board? Are they thinking that they're being pushed by investors at too fast a pace and they want to slow this down a bit and make it the right fit for the company, which is okay, by the way. However, you cannot have an effective program, in my view, without some level of board involvement and board reporting so that they are aware of what's going out by the company executives to investors and stakeholders. And they also have a say in how to utilize that within their own purpose culture, and then from their own work on diversity and inclusion. I really love that tone at the top, Carol. And I think what you said echoes the same idea with purpose. The purpose statement originates at the top, but it has to be woven throughout the company. So maybe you can share a little bit about how companies, once they have an ESG program in place, can start sharing it internally, or maybe more importantly, how they can involve or activate their employees to help them achieve those goals that are laid out in that program. Yeah, what's great about that question, Karen, is that every program is unique to that company. In fact, I get calls and they ask if I can send them some kind of boilerplate ESG program or, you know, check the box system where they could put something together quickly. And then I always tell them, you know, that there are specific components to an ESG program, but it's really bespoke. It's up to the company to figure out how they're going to scale the ES&G program and then carry it forward. Investors will see through any effort to try and put out a, what I would call a glossy ESG report. There, there really, there's no substance you know, behind it. And employees play a very critical role. Employees will recognize whether a company's ESG program is authentic or not. 
And so it's important to include them. I've often recommended that companies have an online working group to run some concepts or ideas by them. Certainly policies should be reviewed for family-friendly needs. And of course, this whole remote working environment has caused companies to really think about employees' safety and health. So involve the employees, first of all, is what I tell them. And don't be afraid to say that these are all great ideas. However, you know, there are only some of them we're going to be able to implement. And then when the report is written and the program has been launched, make sure that they get a copy of it. One thing that I've found is that companies are really good about communicating with the media, putting out press releases, making sure that the board members and others and other investors are informed. But the last group that get any information are the employees. And so I tell them to flip that and make sure that the employees are part and parcel to the success of the program. The other thing that I remind company executives is that employees are very good at using social media. And if they think the company's doing a great job with ES&G, they're going to talk about it on these social media platforms, and they're going to be proud to work for the company. On the flip side, if they're not thinking that the company is really authentic in its ESG program, they're probably going to, again, mention that on social media, and others are going to pick up on that. So there's going to be a disconnect. And I recommend that companies solve that pretty quickly by making sure the employees are involved and engaged. I think that's such a great point, Carol. And I like how you talked about involving your employees and that you mentioned the importance of authenticity. This is a great lead into my next question about accountability and what this looks like in terms of an ESG program. How are leaders holding themselves and the business accountable to the program? But more importantly, how do you see employees playing a role in this? Are they also holding the leaders accountable? Well, it's another great question because it really can emanate from the employees and, you know, push up within the organization. And that makes it even more a part of the culture when the employees are the ones saying that we really want to rally around this and make this work. So it's not coming down, you know, to them from the C-suite or the board. But really, it has to be a holistic approach. It's a 360 review so that there isn't any beginning or end to that ESG program. And that really helps resolve the accountability issue. Certainly, someone has to be the champion in the company. So if they can't have a chief sustainability officer, you know, a lot of small and mid-cap companies just don't have the resources to devote one person to maintain this program. But they do have people who are committed to ESG. And so finding the right person in the company that has what I would call the authority and power to help make the program come alive and then set those milestones and targets to be met is really essential. And so, as I said, if you share that program and the milestones with employees and investors, the accountability comes when people start asking questions about where you are in the growth of the program. And I've often said, too, to companies, you don't have to do everything all at once. Start where you are, develop a program, and then move forward from that point. Investors will be patient as long as they see some progress. Employees, too, will be patient as long as they feel they're a part of the success of the company and they don't feel that disconnect that I mentioned earlier. I like that because I feel like we're often trying to tackle the whole program all at once. But realistically, it's more about setting goals and then putting a plan in place to achieve those goals. So that leads me to a question about short-term versus long-term. This has come up a few times recently when I've been talking with people about stakeholder value and this idea that we need to consider the trade-offs that occur when we have to prioritize multiple stakeholder groups. 
it seems like the key is looking at the short-term versus long-term impact and looking at how these decisions impact different groups over time. So what does this look like in the ESG space right now? How are companies balancing these short-term versus long-term results or even short-term versus long-term expectations from investors? Sure, and that's really important because most investors are involved with companies over the long term. Now, granted, there are a few investors who are are looking for more short-term opportunities, you know, for returns as part of their investment strategy. But most investors are long-term investors who want the company to do well. In fact, a lot of retail investors probably bought shares back when companies were newly started or they've passed them down through the generations. And so they're very proud of that share ownership. But let's face it, a long-term approach is really challenging depending on a company's business model. And the one that I'll bring up, which is pretty common to talk about, are the oil and gas companies. There is a real push by investors and stakeholders to pressure oil and gas companies to address CO2 emissions, reduce their carbon footprint. They're asking questions about how companies are going to move into this new world within maybe a a 20-year window of time, which sounds like a long time perhaps to you and me. But when a company's business model has been built around oil and gas production, just the way that it has been over the years, that is a huge step forward. And so they have to look at that purpose and the company is going to have to figure out how to invest the time, the resources from budget dollars, and then make those changes in a dedicated and significant way. And that's going to take a reworking of a business model. So we're seeing many companies are already committing to make those changes. They've already signed on to many of the climate change pledges to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And investors are going to maintain that pressure, as well as employees, too. And don't forget the consumers. If consumers have a choice where they spend their money, whatever it is, they will vote with their wallet and they will spend their money where they think companies are moving in that long-term direction. That's so true, Carol. I've heard that a few times, this idea of consumers voting with their wallets. Now, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier, and that's this idea of mitigating risk. I've been learning about this a little bit from the purpose standpoint. We know from research that when you're clear about your purpose and you're caring for your stakeholders, it's good for business. But there's also more conversation about the correlation between purpose and risk reduction. So I'm hoping you can expand a little bit more on this relationship between ESG and managing risk. Sure. And in fact, you know, for companies, the real metric for them is all about financial reporting. So that financial reporting piece is really what is helping make ESG stick over the long term. It used to be that ESG was considered non-material to a company's bottom line. You know, these were all nice to have policies and practices, but really the company's purpose was about making money for investors. As companies have evaluated risks in that business model, whether it's in the E, S, or even G category, more and more of those risks are becoming material. I mean, we are a global community and there are supply side issues, there are global challenges, there are political risks. All of these things can impact a company. And so there are some industry standards that have helped provide materiality maps. And in fact, the one that I use most significantly is SASB, which is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board standard which helps provide ESG disclosure topics around relevant industries. And there there are many others. So I'm just mentioning that as one example. Businesses are also being scored on their ESG programs. 
And so those scores are very, they're very sensitive to those scores. <laughs> Let me just say that. Credit rating agencies and financial institutions are asking questions about their ESG programs. And so you can imagine if you are doing a better job disclosing risks, you might have access to capital and a better credit rating could lead to a lower interest rate. And so ESG has moved from the non-material into the materials phase. I think that's such an important point, Carol, because it really reinforces the value of an ESG program and really why more companies are starting to look more closely at this. So on that note, what advice would you give a business that's just starting to put their ESG program together? Well, first of all, I would tell them good job for asking that question. I love it when they call me before they've heard from an investor, like they're, you know, seeing these headlines and they realize they need to start their ESG program. However, if they've already had outreach from an investor, that's just fine. They recognize that they need to put a program together. And that's one of the reasons that Sally J. Curley, she is the founder and CEO of Curley Global IR, and I wrote an ESG implementation guide for the Society for Corporate Governance. We put it out because we found that small and mid-cap companies really were challenged with how to start an ESG program. And they would look at the large cap companies and think, wow, does our program have to look like that? You know, we'll never be able to put the resources behind a program like that. And so what Sally and I told them is, no, you don't have to do that. We can develop a guide for you that will help you on that journey. There's a five-step program. I think I can touch upon them, you know, quickly for you. The first one I've mentioned a little bit is to conduct what we call a readiness assessment. And that goes back to the culture of the company. You know, are you really ready to dip your toe into the ESG space and put some kind of resources together for it and sustain it going forward? And that isn't something a consultant can tell them. They have to decide whether they're ready for that. The other thing is to establish that governance structure. And I mentioned that earlier. You know, who's the champion behind this ESG program? How will employees be involved? And so I can help walk them through that governance structure and make sure they understand it doesn't have to involve hiring. They probably have the resources internally. And in fact, what I've also found is that they probably already have some framework in place. They just don't know it. They need somebody to help walk them through that. And then they need to figure out where they are with collecting data, what kind of practices they have in place and what they need to put in place, whether that's you know a board requirement or not. And then the final step is really figure out what you want to disclose to investors, what, what you can disclose, because there are some requirements about not disclosing you know, non-material information until it's in the public domain. And then what are the communication channels that you're going to, to put the report out and talk about the program? As I said earlier, make sure you remember the employees Of course, you're going to send it out to your major investors, but don't forget your retail investors and the stakeholders who are really interested in the company's success. Thank you for walking us through those steps. It feels like there's some really helpful information for businesses that are just starting out or even organizations that maybe are a few steps into the process. But Carol, this has been such a great conversation with a lot of really useful information. Is there anything else you want to add that we didn't touch on? I I just want to go back to one thing. I think it is very important for companies to recognize that ESNG can be complex, but there are ways to break it down in a way that makes it a bespoke program for that company to take away any of the concern that this is just something that they can't sustain over the long haul. 
I also think by integrating it into the purpose statement and your overall sustainability decisions that you're making, it can make it seem as if, you know, it's something that you should have probably had all along. So I always encourage company representatives to talk with me that I know you feel overwhelmed by it. You know, you're so busy on the day-to-day activities that it's hard to look up and see the future in front of you, much less think about something, you know, 10 or 20 years from now. But the whole point of ESG is to take those fundamental risk concepts and elevate them into an interrelationship among risks and values. I'm so glad you mentioned values. Your values are such an important link for making your purpose and your ESG programs compatible and compelling. What a great way to finish up our conversation today, Carol. Thank you so much for taking time to join me today on the Corporate Purpose Podcast. You just finished an episode of the Corporate Purpose Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found some key takeaways you can use right now to grow your business on purpose. If you like this episode, then hit subscribe or consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Better yet, share it with a friend or a colleague. We'll see you next time on the Corporate Purpose Podcast.